Thank you so much, Pastor Jeff, and good evening, everyone. You are truly part of this historic meeting, the first time you can sing in two years. So give God a big hand and give yourself a great encouragement for coming to this service. And I pray that this will not just be new broom sweeps clean for a while, temporarily, but new broom sweeps clean permanently and aboundingly. That this hall will increasingly be filled with people that you pray for and invite to come and listen to God's Word. And we ourselves, who call ourselves believers, would see the meeting together, the beauty and the necessity of meeting together. So if I were to do a word association survey or test with you, right, you mentioned something and what's the first thought or first word that comes to mind? If I mention pandemic, what comes to mind? Some people said some things. We mentioned pandemic, what comes to mind? A whole lot of things, but I think the number one thing that could jump to our minds is pandemic, full of restrictions, full of regulations, full of advisories here in Singapore from all the different ministries and all around the world too. The Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Education, the MCCY, every single ministry, everything needs regulations. Everything, as it were, needs commandments. Why? The commandments are for us to be safe, safe from the virus and safe from each other so that we do not become contagious and infectious towards each other. So I want to ask of you, of the many advisories, of the many regulations or commandments, which one did you find easy to, to keep, easy to follow? Which ones did you find more and more onerous or burdensome? Which do you think were the most important if you could rank them? So I do not know whether your memory can go back to two years ago, right? When this landed on our shores, it had begun in China, right, towards the end of 2019, but it landed on our shores in February and March of 2020. And so from that point onwards, we, we didn't know what this virus was, and the advisories and the regulations and the commandments were washing, temperature control, right? Um, you need to wipe down, you need to sanitize, then come it took a while for us to recommend the wearing of masks because the data was not, not clear out there. Then they found out, yes, it's true droplets. Wearing of masks helps. Then staying away, the safe distancing. Then for a person like myself who likes to walk and exercise, sometimes run a little bit, East Coast Park, Marina Bay Sands, Botanic Gardens, etc. They found surveys in which you exercise when you cycle or you run or you walk. There is a stream a droplet stream. When I read that, I, every time I walk, danger, 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 danger. <laughs> Depends on where the wind is blowing, right? The stream. And then came the flattening of the curve. Remember that term? Let's flatten the curve. Let's tap on the brakes. Then the vaccination and the ARTs. You want me to go on? <laughs> then the cancelling of seats everywhere. That, that took me by surprise when I went walking. My goodness! cannot sit anywhere at East Coast Park, cannot sit anywhere, anywhere. So I want to ask of you, of the many advisories, of the many guidelines, of the many commandments, which were the most important, the most beneficial? And which do you think were the least important? And if you broke those advisories, if you broke those guidelines, which would have massive ramifications in the early days, especially in the West, especially in America, they thought that this, was, this virus was a nothing. And so here is the story of a family, the Foucault's family, if I pronounce the name correctly, where this was in 2020, 
They gathered for family gatherings without masks and just carried on as if the virus was non-existent and it ravaged seven of the family, killing four of them. So four of them in that photo are no longer here. There are consequences to breaking commandments. There are consequences to breaking the things, the way things are. So the story so far is this with Jesus. Whether you get his identity right or wrong, are there any consequences? Are there any benefits? Whether you have faith in him or don't have faith in him, are there any benefits? Are there any downsides or consequences? The story so far in Mark's Gospel is this. You find in the early chapters, in the early part of of, uh, Jesus' life, recorded by Mark in the early chapters, there's increasing popularity. Did the numbers increase from the 12 to the tens, to the hundreds, to the thousands? Yes, they did. You know he fed at least 5,000 men. Have you ever had 5,000 people follow you anywhere? You are that popular, and I don't mean follow you virtually, where they actually follow you on foot from place to place. Side by side with that, as Jesus turns from his ministry mainly in Galilee to head towards Jerusalem, he faces not increasing popularity, he faces increasing hostility. And that's why as you read this gospel, it, as, it is, as it was for them, so it is for us. There's increasing confusion of the identity of this person and what impact might he make on my life. So more technically, if we look at the structure here, the first part, chapter 1, verse chapter 1 verse 1 to verse chapter 8 verse 26 is knowing Jesus authority and Jesus went around and his authority to heal diseases his authority to exercise and cast out demons his authority to teach as none of the Jewish teachers could teach right all that drew the crowds but then there's a turning point at 8:27 a watershed as he heads towards Jerusalem We now increasingly know Jesus in His humility, not just in His authority. It's so easy to be attracted and bamboozled by authority, but it's not easy to be attracted by meekness, humility. Almost meekness is not weakness, but on the surface, it looked like Jesus, as He headed towards the cross, His life had no marks or confirmation that he was the Messiah. So, we now zoom in even tighter to the last days of Jesus' life. As you listen to that, let me just slow down the pace a little bit for you. Anyone here has been told by the doctor you're living in your last year? Anyone has been told that your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your grandpa, your grandma, your child, unthinkably, is suffering from a terminal illness, and this could be 2022, your last year, your last month, or last week. I just wanted to slow that down so that you would not bypass this as if Jesus' last days, oh, okay, now Jesus' last days, I know he lived, and then his last days. Step into his world. Understand why he came into your world. Understand why he came into my world. And these are the last days, not because he did anything wrong against God. These are his last days, culminating in his suffering, 
because of what you and I did. So yes, it's just a slide. Yes, it's just a summary of this book. And what is his life last days as he entered Jerusalem? He enters as the warm welcome of him as perhaps Jesus, as Israel's Messiah, the powerful Messiah that will come to, to set them free from all the foreign rulers of them. Then Jesus enters the temple area on the second day and then he judges the temple. And this portion that we're dealing with today is a huge portion there. And you need to understand why does he judge the temple. And just in case you think, that one is not my, in, 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 in Singlish, right? It's not my business, lah. In Malay, not my pasal. It's not my, it doesn't concern, it concerns Israel and the Jews. No, it concerns you. It truly concerns you. Why Jesus judges the temple and religion. And then he speaks of the coming judgment. And then finally, in chapter 14 to 16, that we are addressing in the Holy Week messages on Wednesday, Thursday, and on Good Friday, Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. So Jesus judges the temple, right? From chapter 11, verse 12. What's so wrong with the temple then? And there are two things that I want to highlight. Many of the episodes highlight what was wrong. But two things. The cursing of the fig tree and the parable of the vineyard. So, what's this cursing of the fig tree? He walked up to the fig tree and saw that it wasn't bearing fruit and he cursed it. And then they came back the next day and it died, rotted from the root. And that becomes a symbol of how the temple was no longer fulfilling its God's given purpose. Okay? So, what would shake your security? What would shake your security to the core? Uh, we pray and hope that the sanctions against Putin and Russia will shake them to the core. The ruble has dropped. The, the, the economy has gone down. Will, will he give up? We do not know. What will shake you to the core? What will shake you to the core is this. If you were a Jew, an Israelite, you go to the temple and you do not find God. The temple was supposed to be the earthly presence of God, the holy God with His people, with a sacrificial system to forgive their sins as they approached the holy God. And because God was no longer there, there was no worship of God. So the fig tree was faithless and fruitless. So two words to describe Israel, no faith in the true and living God, no fruit to show for it. And friends, all that was happening, if you read chapter 11 carefully, it was happening with Jesus and the temp outer temple courts where the Gentiles were allowed to come in. And so, what do you mean? When you, you come in, you need to buy sacrifices. And you needed to buy sacrifices no matter how inflated the prices of the sacrifices were. You needed to exchange money from Roman currency to temple currency no matter how unfair the exchange rate was. We thank God we got a strong currency but some of my relatives in Malaysia, whenever they come to Singapore, say, oh no, oh no, is it 1 to 3 now? Is it 1 to 3.5? Is it 1 to 4? 1 sing dollars to 4? My goodness! When you go and change your money, then it was exorbitant. They will charge you 4 to 8 to 10% higher. And they use the temple courts as a shortcut between Mount Olives and the city. In other words, 
you could do everything at this temple. You could buy sacrifices, you could change your money to temple tax, you could use it as a shortcut, you could do everything in the temple courts except find God and worship the true and the living God. That should shake, shake your security down to the core. So what would shake your security? You go to the bank, you actually think you've got X number of dollars in your savings, but you go to the bank and you find there is no money. And the ATM you press says zero. You work to 55, you want to collect your CPF, you go there and say, no, what we gave you was just paper money. That happened to my cousin who worked here for years. He was illiterate. He worked as a chef and he worked from from place to place, Chinatown, different places, but because he's illiterate, he, he, he thought the bosses were paying it. And when he, when he reached 55, he asked me to go with him to CPF headquarters. We went there, he was expecting tens of thousands of dollars, and he got a pittance. You could see the shock on his face that they had robbed him of his CPF. You go to a pharmacy and there are no medicines to buy. You go to a hospital and there are no nurses, no doctors. They wheel you into a theatre, a surgery, and then you find the person about to cut you open is actually not a surgeon. There are no more doctors left. He's just a common man in a surgeon's suit. All those things should shake you to the core. You go to the temple and it no longer accomplishes its original purpose. You go to the temple and don't find God there. It's a lot more frightening than going to a bank and find finding no money there, going to a hospital and finding no treatment there, it shakes your security to the core. And that's why Jesus was so angry. And what does he promise? That this is sham worship, that worshippers are exploited, the worshippers are distracted, the priesthood is corrupted. God's temple had become a shopping centre. If it's a shopping centre, call it a shopping centre. Whatever you call this building, this wonderful building that took 60 years to build, please do not call it the temple of the true and the living God. Name temple, spirit of it, substance of it, shopping center, bazaar. This is bizarre. And what's all that about moving mountains? We can only move the mountains that God once removed. It's about God doing the impossible. And what would be impossible to the Jewish mind? That God can remove fake worship forever. That God is concerned about fake worship. And one day, He will do something about it forever. And then in place of the fake worship, the offensive worship, the dishonouring worship, God can replace it with true worship forever. You believe that? and will happen through the new temple, Jesus. Jesus becomes the meeting place between God and His people. You know, I'm told that a lot of young parents with young children now, when you're teaching them to, to eat by themselves, one year old, one, two, three years old. You know, have you ever taught children to, to, to eat? Right? Uh, you teach children to eat when they're young. You put the food, it goes anywhere but the mouth. Right. It's all over. You wipe them clean, they dirty themselves again. You wipe them clean, they dirty themselves. So you don't know how many change of clothes during one feeding. 
So I've now heard of a new thing that young parents are doing, the modern day one, which grandparents and older generation like myself uh, will not do. They now feed their children without, without any clothes on top. So the dirty themselves, just bathe. <laughs> After a while, if you have kids who dirty themselves again and again, you wish you could say, like, you could wish you could say, be clean forever. <laughs> be clean forever. That's what Jesus has done. I don't want any of this man-made religion. You are going to be clean forever. But it means the end of the old temple system and the beginning of the new. Through Christ and Christ alone. And this is very, very important, friends. So God can and will end useless worship. Everything they did in the temple courts, from the outer courts to the inner courts, was useless for them. So have you ever taken useless medicine? <laughs> Let's say they now find that the three jabs that you took were all actually a sham. It's actually a, a sham, right? It's actually a conspiracy to make them, the pharmaceutical companies rich in partnership with the government. How would you feel? All the things that you did was actually a placebo. Whenever you offer God nominal worship, it is useless worship for yourself in terms of presenting you holy and blameless before God. And secondly, and more importantly, it is offensive to God. That's why this old temple and its old sacramental system had to be brought to an end. That is all very important for us to understand this whole huge portion of why the temple had to come to an end. You believe this? That God will end, can and will end this? He has. And with that, we now understand two key passages here. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the vine press, built a tower, lease it to tenants, went into a country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. The background to this, if you are a Jewish person, this is not new because God has spoken about this in Isaiah 5. God is the owner of the vineyard. The vineyard is Israel. And notice how God loved the vineyard. What did he do? He planted the vineyard he put a fence around it. All the attention and care he put into it. He dug a pit for a wine press. He wants this vineyard to produce wine, which was truly a symbol of life. And he built a watchtower to prevent it from being, being robbed and ill-treated by others. And then a new thing that was not there in Isaiah 5, God leased this to tenants. He gave people to look after this vineyard. Quite obviously, in context, the tenants that Jesus talked about here were the religious leaders of Israel. And when the season came, the owner sent a servant to the tenants to get some fruit. Look at what happens. They took him, they beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. So first servant, that's what they did. Second servant, verse 4, they sent to him another servant. He sent to them another servant, and he struck him on the head. Anyone struck you on the head? Anyone struck you on the head? Treated him shamefully. 
Anyone humiliated you? And then he sent another servant, and him they killed. And then he sent many others, and some they beat, and some they killed. What's the message that is here? He still had one other, and now a beloved son. Right? And so finally he sent him to them, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. The killing of him is bad enough. For what purpose? To take the inheritance, his rightful inheritance from him. So they took him. Look at the verbs carefully, the action words. They took him, they killed him, they threw him out of the vineyard. You ever seen a body lying there to rot? There are thousands of bodies rotting on the streets of Ukraine. You just have to watch it. Watch the, doc watch the current affairs and see that. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Nothing. He will just allow this to carry on. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. And Jesus had his guns trained on the religious teachers of Israel, the Jerusalem leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and the new tenants is Jesus and his apostles, who would truly care for the vineyard. And so, what on earth would this mean for you and me? And so the owner is God. Did you notice, though the vineyard was slow to produce fruit, God was slow to anger. He sent servant after servant, if you understand this, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet to speak to Israel. But Israel will reject her prophets and Israel killed a good number of God's prophets. Finally, God will send his son. And that is alluded to in the three predictions that Jesus had given in Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, and Mark 10.33. And finally, in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. All that is important to understand the gravity, the seriousness of it in their context. The vineyard Israel, in contrast to God, who was slow to anger and slow to judge and slow to punish, was quick to forget. And did you notice with each one, the actions they took with each servant became increasingly hardened, callous and cruel with no thought that this way of acting towards God would have any repercussions. The lesson of the vineyard. And so the temple must be judged. Israel must be judged. So what would shake you to your, to your bones? You go to the temple, you find no faith in God, you find that God finds no fruit, God finds no God. He finds no evidence of love in this vineyard. No remembrance, no gratefulness, no thankfulness. I just want to check that with you, whether your life and my life is lived with any semblance of remembering God 
For us as Gentiles, let's remember that, hey, you didn't come into the world by yourself, you know? You didn't change your nappy by yourself. You didn't bathe yourself. I bathed myself. I grew up, I went to school by myself. I fed myself. Is there any gratitude that someone gave you parents? Any gratitude? They estimate there are now 2.6 million Ukrainian children displaced from their parents. There's a high number of people welcoming them. There is also a good number of traffickers offering them to pick them up from the train station and then to treat them as sex slaves. The world that we live in is a forgetful world. There is no remembrance of God, there's no gratitude to God, but for Israel was salvation blessing. Of all the nations, she should know she was the undeserved recipient of God's love. And what does God find? No faith, no fruit, no love. Because they were, they were faithless, fruitless, loveless, because they were godless. Godless at the temple, godless at the temple should not be. And then Mark 12, Jesus answered, the most important when they ask him, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So, why is this here? Why is this here? It's important. Now, a religious teacher, sorry, enters into a conversation and almost all the conversations that Jesus had with the different religious leaders, were to, they were out to trap him. They were not out sincerely to find an answer. And so this was most likely a Pharisee, and he's perhaps attracted by Jesus because Jesus just corrected the Sadducees, and they are enemies of each other, religious teachers. And then commandments for the Jews, for us as pande I mean, living through the pandemic, we know what advisories are, we know what regulations are, we know what safe distancing things, we know, as it were, the pandemic commandments, for them, they really knew commandments, right? And they had heavy commandments. What are heavy commandments? If you commit, adul if you commit adultery, if you commit murder, if you dishonour your parents, there could be the death penalty. These commandments that you disobey out of the Ten Commandments carries a death penalty. So they would distinguish in their hearts and their minds, these are the heavy-duty commandments that you do not want to be found breaking. Right? And then as Jesus quotes this, Hear, O Israel, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5. We call this the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. That means every day as Israel recites the Ten Commandments, it begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. As this gospel is written, who do you think were the first receivers of this gospel? 
Many of them were non-Jews. Many of them were Gentiles. And if you are Gentile like me, from my background, I grew up for 18 years going to many temples and many idols, but I didn't know there was one true and living God. And so when Jesus quotes this, before he answers which is the greatest commandment, his basis for this, with the one true and living God, there is, the saying is not, there is none like you, there is none but you. The Lord is one, and this is a witness to God. Now you witness the true and living God where? You will not witness the true and living God in your temples. Neither will you find Him in the Jewish temple. You will now witness God at work in and through Jesus. The power of God at work. And what's this thing about heart and soul and mind and strength? The heart is the headquarters or center of our will. So sometimes you look at a child, right? This child, that's the will. The will of this child bends towards this direction. The will of this child bends towards this direction. The soul is the headquarters of desires. The mind is the headquarters of our thinking and rationality. Strength is the headquarters of our power and energy to live. So I just recovered from COVID two, two weeks ago. And yeah, yeah people, what people say is it's, it's mild, but it makes you a little bit tired, a little bit fatigued. I don't, the last two weeks, I haven't bounced up in the morning and said, let's go. <laughs> I wake up and say, I cannot go <laughs> for my walk. Uh, feeling a bit tired. I sleep a bit more, half an hour more, right? What does he mean by this? To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, you completely, thoroughly, you are totally dedicated to God. And who is going to display this? That you are to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus is going to display it as He heads towards the cross. As He dies, right? As He dies on the cross for us. And so, love for God is the basis and foundation and basis and foundation for love for neighbours. And so as yourself, as you listen to this, you love your neighbour as yourself. This is what it doesn't mean, right? Love others, you can love others selflessly if you love yourself selfishly. This is not what it means. It means this, you can love others selflessly as you love yourself, you love yourself. How do you love yourself every day? You love yourself quite carefully. You love yourself quite carefully from the breakfast you eat to the lunch you eat to the dinner you eat. You don't go out unless you're mentally in balance. You don't ever go out to hurt and harm yourself. And so you love your neighbour as you love yourself. And this is greater than any other thing. So what does this mean? What does it not mean? Very important. Jesus is saying, you destroy this old temple in Jerusalem and you will not miss because this temple had no faith, had no fruit and had no love because it had no God. But you come to me in the new temple, you have faith in me, you will produce true fruit and you will see that the true fruit is love. That's the big exchange that's happening here, my friends. And so if we miss the commandment, you could think that loving God is so blah. 
so boring, right? This loving God thing, right? This loving God thing can be so painful, so ah, oh, or loving God is so idealistic, lah. But loving God is none of those things, my friends. So once after the service, I was just saying goodbye to people out there, and then a young lady that I knew from our church, and she had drifted away for a while, and she said she was sorry for drifting away. She said, it's okay. Then she started to tear up, and started to tear up, and she had drifted away because she obviously got into a relationship, infatuated, fell in love with a guy, obviously not a believer, but things had gotten wrong. And if, if ever a relationship has fallen to bits, you start to think that love is a little bit either blah or ugh or nah. And then you extrapolate to God. This thing called loving God and loving neighbour is a nonsense. It's only in songs that you sing, in English pop songs, Mandarin pop songs, K-pop songs. But friends, loving God is a very important thing. Mark Twain said, if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, uh, can I understand? Or? Huh? Can I? Can I? Right? So you walk around like a hammer, everything, there's an ever-present danger. Think about all those who were surrounding Jesus. They walk around like hammers, blaming Jesus for everything, searching his heart about everything. They never took a moment to examine their own hearts. And so, whether it's first century Christianity, whether it was what they were doing to Jesus then, the church of Jesus Christ is still facing this present danger where you are pointing out the flaws of others when our whole mission and our witness is to point people to Jesus. Christianity by labelling people, Christianity by caricature, is quite different to Christianity by bearing the cross, absorbing the false accusations, absorbing the false things people say about you, think about you, and finally do to you. If your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That is not love, friends. So you're walking around in your marriage, thinking your marriage is so unhappy because your wife is really the cause of all your unhappiness? You're walking around in your family thinking that all your children, right, if you didn't have this kind of children, you'd be a much better man, a much better woman. If you had this, didn't have this kind of father and mother, if you, if you had this, didn't have this kind of people in your discipleship group, you'd be so loving. You'd be the most loving person in your discipleship group. If you had this, didn't have this kind of pastors, this would be a much better church. We walk around like a hammer, and then everyone is a nail. And so, friends, but loving God is so costly. Loving God is so exacting, exacting. And loving God is painful exacting, but ultimately is so liberating because it's so like Jesus. Amen? And so I do not know whether you watch Les Miserables, so if you watch Les Miserables, there's a line from Victor Hugo in one of the songs that's sung. And what is it? To love another person is to see the face of God. You can proclaim till you turn blue in the face, right? That you love God, but unless you show it in love for people, 
then all that we profess and all that we proclaim amounts to nothing. Loving God is costly. Loving God is exacting. You either, it's either on or off. Loving God and loving others is liberating. And so, what does that mean? Costly, exacting, right? Um, my mum lived with us for 22 years. Then she passed on. And when you look after an aged person, there are a lot of things you have to make adjustments in your life to care for a loved one. You just can't take holidays any way you want. In, in Malaysia, suka, suka. You can't arrange for things. You have to always factor in your love for your loved ones who live under the same roof. Then in God's time, in God's grace, she passed on. And soon after she passed on, we thought she passed on. It's a season of, we missed mum, but a season of relief that you don't have to do all this care. Then soon after, Mona's father fell ill with cancer, and he had come here for an operation. And as he recovered, you ever look after a parent after operation? And so after the operation, he stayed with us for a while. And the care for a patient, an elderly person, is tremendous, it's 24-7. And my father-in-law was leaking. He, he was incontinent. And every time he got up, it would leak, leak, leak. Then I, I found myself on my knees just wiping, wiping. You know what it's like? Wiping, caring. And I was thinking, hey, mum had passed on not too long ago, now he's dead, then who else are we going to look after? Something in your brain thinks that way, you know? Love is costly. Love is exacting. It drains you from morning to night. But it's thoroughly liberating because you're living out the way God created you to live. You're living out the way Jesus redeemed you to live. I'll never forget this story my pastor friend told me in, in, in Australia that his daughter-in-law expecting their first child almost about to give birth then suddenly fell terminally ill, right? Went into a coma in a pregnancy and in and through her coma they managed to deliver the baby. She didn't know, she was unconscious. When she came out and was well enough the husband inched up to her at the hospital the whole family gathered and says, this is what happened to you when you fell, in, you fell into a coma. And this is what happened to you. You managed to give birth to the child miraculously, right? And when she thought about it, when it dawned upon her that she nearly died, she almost died giving life to her own child, she just cried and cried. Loving is costly and exacting. Jesus didn't almost die. Jesus didn't nearly die. He truly died to self, to save you and me. This is all in love. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. To love another person is to see the face of God. How is God challenging you to do this in your life now? Never get used to loveless, loveless relationships. Never get used to loveless thoughts, loveless words, loveless deeds. 
And now if you sit here and you have started to rationalize, you're walking around like a hammer in your, in your marriage, in your family, you're walking around like a hammer in your workplace, etc. It's time to hear this message. It's time to hear this. Very important that we get this right. And see how he ends. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. This professional teacher of Jerusalem saying to small town teacher from, from Nazareth, you are right. Wow, that's a commendation. You have truly said he is one. There is none other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all understanding, with all strength, to love one's neighbour as oneself is much more than the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. In context, right, we must get this right. Notice Jesus said to this religious teacher who got it right, you now agree with me to love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbour as yourself is the greatest command. You got it? You are not far from the kingdom. Jesus did not say you are in the kingdom. Yeah. He didn't say you are in the kingdom. And he will only be in the kingdom if he humbly accepts Jesus as his saviour and his Lord. If he goes back to his Jewish piety, if he goes back to his own personal religious sincerity, I can love God and I can love my neighbour. I can. He will be near the kingdom, but he will not be in the kingdom. I want to ask you in ending, do you think you can really love God without Jesus? Do you think you can really love somebody sincerely without the love, the redeeming love of Jesus poured out into your heart now by the Holy Spirit? Then you are totally deluded. And you walk away from here thinking that everybody, the couples marrying here, right? Three, four hundred of them over the last 30 years. I make my vows, but I always have to remind them, um, uh, I, 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 I promise uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, in health, for snoring or no snoring, for louder, for softer, right? Uh, for COVID or no COVID, uh, for infection or no infection. I will. Will you? I will. Please add in by the grace of God. Please add in by Jesus living in me because you won't be able to love that person. Amen? Not amen good, but amen true. And if you think you walk around with enough sincerity, piety and morality to love, to love God and love others by yourself, you have just dishonoured Jesus and the cross. And so, which commandment is more important? Love. But more than the commandment is who will be able to unleash you and empower you to this love. And when you fail to love, who will give you a second chance at it, to keep going at it? It will be Jesus and His once and for all death on the cross for you. Amen? That's what we are inviting you to. And so we're going to stand and sing this song in closing. 
that Jesus alone is Lord, that without Him as Lord, the Lord of love, we would have no ability and no right to love one another. Let's stand. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Lord of love, the Lord of humility, the Lord of sacrifice, the Lord of other person-centeredness. And as we turn to you and believe in you, the truest expression of worship is to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves. To you we turn, in you we trust, for this forever worship and for this forever love that can now be experienced in our hearts, in our homes. Make us a shining light here in the RPC, indeed in all churches everywhere, as we come to you now, the Lord of love. May we win the world over, not simply by proclaiming Christ, but the Christ who laid down his life for us and rose for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.